Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. I'm the host, David Intracasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss the Medicare Advantage Program. With me to discuss the program is Dr. Brian Biles. Welcome, Brian. Before I introduce Dr. Biles, as always, some background. Since the 1970s, Medicare beneficiaries have had the option of receiving their Medicare benefits via private health plans. Today, 27% of Medicare beneficiaries, or 13.3 million seniors, are enrolled in these private plans, most receiving their care via health maintenance organizations or preferred provider organizations. MA program growth in the past few years has been rapid. Enrollment almost tripled between 2013 and 2012, and the program is estimated to add another 1.5 million beneficiaries this year. Medicare, which pays MA plans a capitated rate rather than on a fee-for-service basis, reimbursed Medicare Advantage plans $136 billion in 2012. The program has, however, not been without controversy, moreover largely due to payment amounts or overpayments made to MA plans. For example, just prior to passage in 2010 of the Affordable Care Act, or just prior to reforms made to the MA program in the Affordable Care Act, the CBO estimated equalizing payments between Medicare Advantage programs and the traditional fee-for-service Medicare program would generate $170 billion in savings over the 10-year budget window. Despite ACA reforms to the Medicare Advantage program, MedPAC estimated that in 2013 overall payments to the plans will average an estimated 104% of fee-for-service spending, meaning that the Medicare program will pay approximately $6 billion more for Medicare Advantage enrollees than it would have paid to cover the same enrollees in fee-for-service Medicare. With me to discuss the current status of the Medicare Advantage program is a leading expert on the topic, again, Dr. Brian Biles. Since 2000, Dr. Biles has been a professor in the Health Policy Department at the George Washington University. He is also a senior vice president at the Commonwealth Foundation. Previously, Dr. Biles served for seven years as a staff director of the House Ways and Means Subcommittee on Health. He served later as a deputy assistant secretary for the Health for Health at the Department of Health and Human Services in the Clinton administration, and he also served as deputy secretary for Maryland's Department of Health and Mental Hygiene. He chairs the Medical Administrators Conference. He also currently is a fellow at the New York Academy of Medicine and is an invited lecturer at the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard. Dr. Biles received his Doctor of Medicine and Bachelor of Arts with honors from the University of Kansas, and he holds a master's degree in public health from Johns Hopkins. So with all that, let's begin, Dr. Biles. How do private plans participate in the Medicare Advantage program, or more specifically, how do plans quote-unquote bid in order to participate in Medicare Advantage? Well, thank you very much, David. Uh, In terms of participation, plans apply Uh, and they must meet a set of standards in terms of obviously simply being a federal contractor, so the fiscal side of it, but beyond that on the care side, uh, access to care um, and then benefit package, there's a whole set of requirements that plans must meet to be Medicare Advantage plans, so that's the first point. Uh, Maybe the second point is, in fact, there are four different basic types of plans. So one is a health maintenance organization, which is more tightly structured. Uh, Secondly is a local uh, preferred provider organization, which generally deals with providers only on price or payment rates and not on utilization. 
and that can be a local plan, uh, plan which the firm specifies the geographic area. Uh, third, there's a very specific program of regional preferred provider, uh, which are multi-state areas designated by uh, the Centers for Medicare Medicaid Services, CMS. And then four, which has now basically been limited and has certainly had a major reduction, are the private fee-for-service plans. So uh, there are four different plans, but depending on the criteria, which type of plan and the criteria plans must meet those criteria. And I think maybe the third point, of course, is the, the financing. Uh, nationally, we're now up to over $130 billion a year, so there's a lot of money in the program. And that money is then provided with a federal so-called benchmark, uh, which is set at the county level, and we can come back to more detail on that. And then the individual plan costs. Uh, previously, before the ACA, uh, the payment was at the county benchmark, uh, and then the plan individual plan costs, and the plans were paid their costs, plus 75% of the difference, which is referred to as a rebate. Uh, under the ACA, the benchmark is still set at the county level, but the plan is not is paid now 50% of the difference between the plan costs and uh, and the benchmark. Again, that's the rebate. We're in a in a phase-in period now, where each year the plans are paid a different percentage between the old system uh, and the new uh, Affordable Care Act ACA system. Okay. In my introduction, I said that plans in 2013 per the Medicare Payment Advisory Commission will average an estimated 104% of fee-for-service spending. Now, this is less, substantially less, than what they had been paid before the ACA. Explain to me, I think it's of of interest, explain to me the initial impetus for the Medicare, it used to be called Medicare Plus Choice, but the original impetus for private plans participating was that the theory was initially that they were going to be paid less than fee-for-service. Yeah, I, th- I think if we go all the way back uh, till 1981-82 with the Reagan administration, uh, they proposed to pay plans on a prospective or so-called risk basis. And the basis of that was the cost in traditional or fee-for-service Medicare at the county level and so the payment at that point was set at 95% at the county level, and then that's what the plan cost. Uh, plans have always filed their own internal costs for providing Medicare benefits, and under the, uh, the early kind of risk payment system, uh, again, starting with the Reagan administration, uh, plans were paid 95% of the difference uh, of the county uh, fee-for-service costs, then then their own costs and the difference was used uh, if their costs were lower than the 95% to provide extra benefits for the individuals who enrolled in the plan. So that was the, the program uh, from, uh, again, 1982-83 up until 1997. Now, one of the things that we now know is risk adjustment is very important. 
uh, and in Medicare, 1% uh, of the people have 25% of the costs, 5% of the people have 50% of the costs. On the other side, 50% of the people only have 3% of the costs. They're younger and healthier. And so that if plans can recruit or mostly can avoid uh, recruiting and rolling the 1% with 25% of the cost, the 5%, that if the, if the payment is not properly risk-adjusted while well, they're paying the average, but they have many fewer of these very sick individuals, uh, obviously there's a lot of uh, additional payments or, uh, quote, uh, profits involved. Okay. Let me, before we go to the ACA reforms, let me just ask you, I did note the tremendous growth in the program. So what's your assessment of the substantial growth? So, for example, um, there are now over 13 million enrollees. Uh, over an eight-year period from 2004 to 2012, the program grew from 5.3 to approximately 3.3 million enrollees over the eight-year period. Well, I think, as, as you mentioned, if we go back to um, 2009, the plans were being paid 14% uh, more uh, or an average of about $1,100 per member per year than costs in fee-for-service. Uh, fee fee and what this allowed, if you think of the Medicare benefit package, uh, it has essentially $1,000 hospital per stay uh, co-payment, and then it has a 20% coinsurance on the Part B physician ambulatory side. Uh, we know to fill in uh, those costs, so-called Medigap, uh, now costs on the order of $2,400 a year if you buy that either from uh, United AARP or maybe from your local Blue Cross plan. So if these plans were being paid uh, about $1,100, obviously they could provide uh, much of that Medigap without charging this um, $200, $2,400, $200 a month, $2,400 a year premium. Uh, there was also during that time, uh, I think, certainly an imperfect risk adjustment system and again, plans that enrolled younger and healthier uh, Medicare uh, beneficiaries, those who are maybe 65, 68, maybe 71, uh, could also uh, be paid more than a perfectly risk adjustment system. So you had uh, both overpayments, overt overpayments, and then with the uh, imperfect uh, risk adjustment system, even more in the way of payments more than real adjusted costs. So the bottom line was exactly that. It was more affordable to enroll in a Medicare Advantage plan up until 09 and 10, up until the ACA. Yeah, no, so I let's go to the Affordable Care Act. So the Affordable Care Act does make changes, substantial changes to Medicare Advantage, principally payment. And we'll get to this bonus issue as well. So let's start with just the payment. What what happened on the payment is obviously you had the costs of the ACA benefits covering 32 million uh, more Americans, uh, and that's either fully subsidized on Medicaid or partially subsidized in the exchanges. And the, the cost for that estimated by CBO 
were roughly a trillion dollars uh, over uh, 10 years. And the commitment was always to make the bill budget neutral. And so the understanding from early on was of that 10-year trillion dollars, roughly $500 uh, would be from new revenues, various kinds of taxes. Uh, and the other $500 million would become from savings in existing federal programs, which is really Medicare, since in the ACA the point is not to reduce Medicaid program for the old, but actually to expand Medicaid. Mm -hmm. So the goal was to get $500 a billion in Medicaid savings, again, over 10 years. Medicare savings. Medicare savings, I'm sorry, Medicare savings over 10 years. Now, because if you go back to this plans being paid, 14% more or $1,100 per member, uh, CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, estimated that if you eliminated the extra payments and simply paid plans at 100% of cost in the local county, or an average of 100%, that the, that the savings in the 10-year period, and it really didn't start till the third year, were something on the order of $150 billion. And that then was phased in, so the savings were a hundred and uh, roughly thirty, thirty plus billion. Now there's a higher number now because we're through the phase-in period. But it was roughly one-third of the total Medicare savings. Okay, let's, uh, I did mention uh, in my question the STAR or bonus payment program to Medicare Advantage and this has been similarly controversial. I will note that the GAO, in its report on this program, actually stated that this demonstration should be terminated immediately. And I know MedPAC has not been a fan of uh, favorably supportive of this. So what is this STAR bonus program? And also, too, CMS did uh, put their fingerprints on it as well. Well, um, one of the points in the ACA, uh, and there are very explicit policies about playing paying plans with high uh, quality scores. And we might note that these quality scores are in, include many factors which are really quality of the operation of the plan, such as answering the phone uh, or beneficiary or enrollee satisfaction. It's not what we think of as quality of medical care, uh, let alone outcomes. Mm -hmm. Uh, but nevertheless, that is in the ACA, and the administration, this is the Obama administration, decided uh, to actually implement uh, a program and a much more generous program during this uh, prior to the full implementation of the ACA. And, and so I think the fact that it is earlier it actually has lower scores or lower requirements for the payments, and the payments are actually higher than what is in the a ACA statute. Uh, I think there's been some fair amount of criticism. Uh, it's been, uh, I think, analyzed in detail by uh, analysts at the Kaiser Family Foundation, and there was particularly criticism from the GAO. Uh, I think they analyzed this in detail and found that it was difficult to justify. Because it's a star system up to five stars, they're paying bonuses down to three stars, and effectively everyone who offers an MA plan yeah. 
his three stars. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've sort of characterized this as uh, the, the garrison keeler and all children are above average. So this sort of rewarded plans, not for excellence, but I think it's fair to say more for participation. Okay. Let's, you did mention risk scores, and I know this is a very weedy subject. It, it is well known or generally well known that this is a very difficult thing to do but there are some plan changes in risk scoring. So more abbreviated than in detail, yeah. let's discuss. I think, I think the general, general point about risk scores, again, goes back to this 1% have 25%, 5% have 50%, 50% have only 3%. So that if you simply pay an average of, let's say, cost in the local area for any member of a plan, uh, of course, people running plans uh, are not dumb, and they recognize the incentives. Uh, they can particularly design benefit packages, for example, benefit packages with low monthly premiums. They don't charge the $200 a month the way AARP United does. Uh, and, but in contrast, they have high out-of-pocket costs when you actually use services. Well. That's a benefit package that's very attractive to the young and the elderly. Again, this 50% who use very little services. It's not very attractive to the older and sicker because they find when they actually go to the hospital, uh, they pay more, actually, than they might even under Medicare without Medigap. Mm -hmm. So the plans have understood this. Uh, the solution is very detailed encounter data from the plans to really understand who's in the plans and what services they're using. Um, Medicare proposed, there was a proposal to move in this direction of much more data at the end of the Clinton administration. Uh, you wouldn't be surprised that the plans objected to filing more data, uh, and so that was basically uh, put on uh, hold during the whole period of the second Bush administration. Now, with the Obama administration, there's a beginning to require more data, particularly encounter data for ambulatory services, uh, and people believe that will very much more uh, create an accurate uh, risk adjustment system. So, so it's complicated, but it really is based on the fact that in Medicare, as in any health insurance uh, pool, uh, a few, up to 10% of the people use uh, a majority of the services, and the majority of the people use very, very few uh, services. Okay. Helpful. Thank you. Let's go to sort of the, the substantive uh, question about um, these plans, and that's on balance, the quality of care that they uh, deliver. Um, you know, critics of MA plans uh, say that, as you suggest, um, they enroll healthier lives. This is the, the term is uh, favorable selection. Um, so there are healthier people that consume fewer resources, and therefore the plans are more profitable. Uh, advocates or supporters of MA, the MA program, say, well, um, they provide better quality. Um, and thereby better, there are better outcomes. So, for example, there may be um, reduced utilization, or say, for example, reduced rehospitalizations. But on balance, what's your understanding or assessment of the quality of care 
MA plans provide? Well, I'll start by saying I think generally the way plans in the, in the U.S. are structured today, they mostly reflect quality of care in the underlying health care physician and, and hospital community in the cities where they uh, exist. And they don't make a lot of difference one way or the other. Now, having said that, um, there are types of plans. And, for example, I don't think it's, there's any question that Kaiser Permanente, which is a prepaid group, has all its own physicians. Uh, on the West Coast, its own hospitals. On the East Coast, certainly contracts with a very small number of hospitals, that they really can manage uh, quality of care, and they have among the most sophisticated health IT systems. But most even HMOs are not prepaid groups. They're so-called independent practice associations where they're basically contracting on a very part-time basis with many, in some cases, most physicians in a community or metro area. And I think in that case, the quality of care, I think the study showed, generally reflects the underlying quality of care uh, in, the, in the geographic area. And those studies tend to indicate that there's a swath across the northern U.S., from Seattle to Minneapolis to Madison and on into Boston, where generally the quality of care, either in plans or on the traditional Medicare fee-for-service side, is higher quality by more clinical measurements. And there are other areas of the country, and notably the South, uh, where quality of care is generally viewed as lower and I think that's true broadly, uh, whether it's the plans on one side or traditional Medicare on the other. Okay. Let's then go to the future of the program. As I noted in the intro, the plan will grow appreciably um, in 2013. The guesstimate is it will add a, another million and a half lives. What's your assessment of uh, the MA program going forward? I should say, too, that despite... Uh, noting MedPAC on a couple of occasions here. MedPAC on balance is very supportive of uh, private Medicare and, and this part specifically Medicare Advantage. Well, uh, I will say while MedPAC is, is generally in favor of plans, they have repeatedly emphasized that the plan should be paid no more than average Medicare costs in the uh, local, in this case, county area. Uh, and so they have also supported uh, bringing the 114% down to the 104%, and I think our studies indicate, and we have a paper out at the Commonwealth Fund, which if you model the fully implemented uh, ACA payment system, it would pay plans, I think we find nationally an average of 101%, so it's pretty much the same. The, the same. Um, and then if you model, uh, there are four tiers. Some plans are paid, the base rate is 95% of local costs, and then uh, a base rate of 100, 107.5%, and 115%. But in most of those, uh, most of the plans in most of those counties, uh, those amounts reflect the current cost of plans um, relative to fee-for-service costs. And particularly what we know, and this is our work, is that the managed care plans, the MA plans, 
tend to be more expensive than local uh, fee-for-service Medicare costs, where fee-for-service costs are low, uh, about the same where they're moderate, and it's only in counties with the, high, the highest 20% or one-fifth of counties with the very highest cost in traditional Medicare fee-for-service are plan costs lower. So, for example, it would be the classic example is, say, Minnesota or uh, Minnesota versus Florida. Right. So, so plans, and, and we do have that as a number. Uh, I can give you that number. Uh, in Minnesota... Uh, plan, Which has a huge MA population. Plan costs uh, are average 105% of fee-for-service, and that's because fee-for-service costs in Minnesota are relatively low, and that is the doctors in the fee-for-service system generally practice a more prudent, frugal, efficient, whatever term, uh, uh, practice of medicine. Uh, on the other hand, if we look in Florida, which have very high costs in fee-for-service, and generally people think the medical system there uh, orders lots of tests uh, and does lots of procedures, there, in fact, costs are very high, the highest in the country, and plan cost average, we find, 83% of, um, of fee-for-service costs. Okay. I think we have time for one last question. That is, again, on the future of the program, what possible reforms uh, do you see um, would be prudent in uh, continuing to evolve or reform or improve the program or to make it more truly uh, competitive? Well, um, I think generally one is, is certainly, I, I believe, uh, again, I think reflecting to some extent, uh, MedPAC and others, that plans ought to be paid the same as costs in traditional Medicare. Um, and so my own personal preference would be to pay them all this 100% rather than the new 95 up through 115. Uh, so that's the first point. Secondly, all the way back to uh, the Reagan proposal, that if there are costs lower, then those costs, in my view, should go uh, to the beneficiaries who come out of the fee-for-service system and agree to a limit uh, uh, number of providers and their hopefully more efficient practices. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I, my, my sense, I guess, if you if you'd ask me, I think a level playing field, and and that is a level playing field in the local area. Uh, and I think the problem, while it's a level playing field nationally, again at 101%, plans are being paid 115% or Portland and Seattle, and we show uh, less than 90% of fee-for-service costs in Florida and some of the other areas. So I think that reflects uh, skewed incentives mm -hmm. because it gives plans an incentive although they cost more in places like Portland or Seattle and it reduces the incentives in the areas like Florida or Los Angeles uh, or maybe Houston where the plans really are more efficient. Okay and with that Brian sorry to say we're at our time boundary so let me say thank you very much for okay. your time. Thank you very much.